Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. I can't believe it took me this long to talk about Kirby Superstar. No, I'm too busy talking about Joker fighting Shrek or reading bad creepypastas, I guess. I talked about Kirby and the Amazing Mirror before I talked about this game. But that changes today. Let's start with a little bit of history. First game in the series, Kirby's Dreamland. Then came Kirby's Adventure. Then Kirby's Dreamland 2. I've talked before about how Dreamland 2, Dreamland 3, and Kirby 64 have this trilogy thing going on within the greater Kirby series, and they all have a different feel than the rest of the games. To be honest, I consider Kirby's Adventure to be the true sequel to Kirby's Dreamland. It not only came out before Dreamland 2, but it feels like more of a natural expansion of the series, and it introduced a lot of tropes that would come into play and stick around, namely King Dedede's status as a morally ambiguous figure, that kind of thing. The gameplay opportunities introduced in the Dreamland 2 and 3 games wouldn't really get explored until, I'd say, Robobot... And the power mixing wouldn't in 64 wouldn't really come back until technically Squeak Squad, but really Star Allies. Eventually, for Super Nintendo, we get Kirby Superstar. And it's also one of the most unique games in the series, too. But most importantly, I think it's the most influential of the Kirby games. In many ways, it's become a bit of a gold standard, and most of the recent Kirby games harken back to concepts that were introduced here, both in terms of gameplay and lore. Most people know what the deal is with this game, but we're 120 episodes in, you should know me by now that I like to cover my bases, and if you don't know me, uh, welcome, let's get to know each other a little bit. Kirby Superstar is approximately six smaller Kirby games, all with their own quirks wrapped up into one package. Spring Breeze, Dynablade, Gourmet Race, The Great Cave Offensive, Revenge of Meta Knight, Milky Way Wishes, and The Arena. There is also Samurai Kirby and Megaton Punch as side games. Then there was a remake for Nintendo DS called Kirby Superstar Ultra, and it added even more modes. Revenge of the King, Helper to Hero, Meta Nightmare Ultra, and The True Arena. There are also three new bonus games, Snack Track, Kirby on the Draw, and Kirby Card Swipe. I'll give a general overview of each game, but I mainly want to focus on the ways that they've influenced the future of the series. I'm not going to talk about Samurai Kirby, Megaton Punch, or the three bonus games introduced in the DS version, because those don't really contribute as much. I'm more into the meat and potatoes over here. The main six, or seven, I guess technically closer to nine to ten now, the the main sub-games of the package... What's interesting to me is that not only did Superstar influence a lot of things in the Kirby series, but even the remake got in on the fun, introducing a few things that would just keep popping up. 
Kirby is no stranger to referencing its past works. We even get a bit of that in Superstar itself. But I feel like Superstar has set the standard for enough things that this is the one that they all like to reference back to. So, let's get started. Spring Breeze. This one is just a retelling of Kirby's Dreamland, but streamlined a bit, and with the addition of gameplay elements that will be universal to all the Kirby Superstar sub-games. Since Masahiro Sakurai directed the original game, and this one, and I have a vague idea of how he thinks, I'm guessing he wanted this mode to not just be an introduction to the game to ease people into it, but also a concise introduction to Kirby as a whole by letting you relive his first adventure and kind of giving people a reason to skip Kirby's Dreamland and just play Kirby Superstar. Not not a whole lot to go over with this one. King DDD steals all the food, so Kirby tries to get it back. This version of the story does remove Castle Lolo, reducing it to just a boss room at the end of Float Island. That also means that the airship boss gets hijacked by Lolo and La La La. It was completely excised from the Kirby's Dreamland story for now. This is the least influential of Superstar's subgames because it's too busy basking in the influence of a previous game. From here, we get more into the different ways that Superstar influences the series. However, it is worth mentioning that basic gameplay quirks from this game are, by default, introduced in Spring Breeze, and these became a bit of a standard for the main series, starting with Return to Dreamland. I'm primarily talking about the fact that each of Kirby's abilities have a wide array of uses instead of just being a single attack, at least most of the time. Also, this is the first game to give Kirby little hats for each ability. The box art for the Super Nintendo version even shows Kirby with the Beam Abilities hat. Dynablade. In this mode, Kirby moves around a world map in different stages on the world. This is the first time a main Kirby game has used a world map. Previous games, you just go to the next level automatically, or you walk around a room with doors leading in to the different levels. Dynablade is more difficult and complex than Spring Breeze, embracing more of the elements that are new to Superstar, but it's still only the second subgame, so don't expect too much of a challenge. Going back to the world map for a second, there are a couple of unlockable rooms that grant you unlimited access to certain copy abilities, which is another new concept that gets reused. Dynablade herself not only reappears later in Superstar, but also makes a comeback in Kirby Air Ride. In that game, her level uses a remix of the Castle Lololo music. That gets carried over to her boss fight in Superstar Ultra, which makes her fight feel more intense than in the original game, because she used to just have the plain boss theme. As a personal note, this may be the least interesting subgame, in my opinion. All the other ones have an interesting premise or a gimmick. This one just feels like a generic adventure mixed in with a bunch. I feel like everyone has their own favorite Kirby Superstar subgame, and most of them are probably going to be one of the next three. Or, well, technically, one of the later three ones. 
I really want to know who would pick Dynablade as their favorite and why. Not that I'm judging them or anything, it's just this one seems like it offers the least, so I'm wondering what the appeal here is. I don't really understand what Sakurai was going for with this one. Gourmet Race. To be honest, this one feels like it should have been a mini-game like the Megaton Punch, rather than a full-on sub-game. It's three rounds of Kirby and King DDD racing and collecting food along the way. Not much of a story either. King DDD challenges Kirby to the Gourmet Race, and that's about it. This is also King DDD's final appearance in the game, excluding the arenas and the DS content. So overall, King DDD doesn't get much screen time in Kirby Superstar, but Gourmet Race left enough of an impression anyway that this sub-game is one of the most prominent of King DDD's outings. The musical piece, Get Up and Gourmet, that plays in the first and third rounds, became a recurring Kirby theme to the point where it represents the series in Super Smash Bros. 64, and... There's usually a new remix of it every time there's a new game, or or at least until the fourth game. And since Gourmet Race is strongly tied with DDD, the Gourmet Race music is often seen as King DDD's secondary light motif whenever his usual theme isn't playing. In Kirby Nightmare and Dreamland, a dramatic remix of this song is played for DDD's boss fight instead of his usual one. Very short and simple, but Gourmet Race is an integral part of King DDD's legacy now. Heck, you unlock King DDD in Smash Bros. Ultimate's World of Light by competing in a recreation of the Gourmet Race. Great Cave Offensive Kirby gets lost in an underground labyrinth and has to follow a path to get out. Along the way, he'll encounter enemies and treasures, especially if he goes out of his way to find them. This one lightly borrows from the Metroid style of exploration, though a bit simplified. Despite all the exploring you can do, it's still pretty much a one-way trip through the cave. Once you're finished with a quadrant, there's really no going back unless you restart. The game does provide you with checkpoint rooms, so there's that. With the sprawling layout and the focus on exploration, the easy observation would be to say that this game may have inspired Kirby and the Amazing Mirror, but I actually think more of Super Smash Bros., Sakurai's other baby, when I think of Great Cave Offensive. Besides the cave itself being a stage in Wii U and Ultimate, the entire format feels really similar to the Great Maze in Brawl's Adventure Mode. The save point room is also the same as in the resting points for Melee's All-Star Mode. And the end boss, Wham Bam Rock, it consists of a face in the background and a floating hand. The hand does all the fighting, and it has a lot of familiar attacks, to the point where it feels like a very early version of Master Hand. On a much smaller note, Fatty Whale may be the name inspiration for the Return to Dreamland boss, Fatty Puffer. feels odd to say that this mode inspired more in Sakurai's other series than it did with any other of the Kirby games, but that's just how I see it. Heck, since all the Kirby stages in Smash Bros. are from the Kirby games that Sakurai has directed, that means we've got at least a couple stages inspired by Superstar's sub-games, including one based off the next sub-game, Revenge of Meta Knight. In my opinion, this is the big one. 
The main thing is that this mode changed Ben Knight from being just another boss in Kirby's adventure, albeit with some intrigue, into being one of the pillars of the Kirby franchise. He shows up with this new airship, the Halberd, and he sets out to conquer Dreamland. Kirby has to go through a few stages to systematically destroy the Halberd before facing Meta Knight in a duel. The stages are timed, and the aesthetics of the Halberd are a lot grittier than a normal Kirby level. We haven't had a lot of mechanical biomes in Kirby so far. This was the first. Due to the difficulty with the time limit, as well as the fact that Meta Knight's plot is more sinister, albeit well-intentioned, and the fact that Meta Knight is a tougher boss fight, it all points to Meta Knight being beyond King DDD. He's no mere henchman, he's his own man, and a dangerous one at that. And thanks to this danger, this is also the difficulty spike, where Kirby Superstar stops messing around. This is the wake-up call after playing through Dynablade and Great Cave Offensive. The lore for this mode is that Meta Knight is trying to conquer Dreamland, but out of a sense of thinking that he would be a good ruler. He doesn't like how lazy everyone is. This is Meta Knight at his most villainous, because all other appearances have him as more of a good guy, even if he doesn't always seem like one. The Halberd, though destroyed, makes its grand return in Kirby's Squeak Squad of all games, and to this day it soars the skies of Popstar. This sub-game features dialogue, as Meta Knight and his posse talk to each other while Kirby clears the levels, so it's the first case of dialogue in the series outside of Avalanche. Recent Kirby games are a lot heavier on dialogue, though they still tend to leave a lot to imagination. I said that this might be the most influential of the sub-games because of all the work it did on Meta Knight's character. It elevated him from being just a boss into being a major player on the same level as Kirby and DDD. When you play a new Kirby game, it's very common to think, okay, how long until I have to fight King DDT or Meta Knight, or some version of them? There's also a lot of recurring music associated with Meta Knight now, and all of it originates from this game here. Not to mention the Halberd being one of the most iconic set pieces in the entire series. A lot of this mode's influence is localized around Meta Knight, but... I'd say that promoting a past boss into being a major character is a pretty big deal. It also influenced Spring Breeze in the future, but more on that later. As you probably guessed, this is also my favorite of the sub-games, and uh, for good reason. Milky Way Wishes. This is considered to be the final mode of the game, not counting the arenas, since those are just boss rushes. And even then, the final boss in the arena is always the boss at the end of Milky Way Wishes, so there's that. For the story, the sun and the moon are fighting, and since Mario's not around to throw his sixth party yet, Kirby has to go to the Fountain of Dreams on each of the nearby planets to summon a clockwork cluster comet thing called Nova, which grants wishes. The game borrows from Dynablade with a world map and the Great Cave Offensive with a focus on exploration. Kirby freely travels to different planet stages and has to seek out different copy ability statues because he can't just get them from eating enemies in this mode. While I'd say that Revenge of Meta Knight is still harder than Milky Way Wishes, this is still considered the grand finale. Most of the past bosses all come back for one last swing at Kirby 
the adventure is taken to a cosmic scale by going to all the different planets. You get proper credits for once. And of course, there's the villain. The little jester who sent Kirby on this quest, Marx, actually tricked Kirby into summoning Nova so he could wish for ultimate power. This isn't the last time Kirby accidentally helps a villain. Heck, it's not even the first time. But this is the first time that the end game of a Kirby story has nothing to do with King DDD. Usually, if DDD isn't the final boss, he's at least within the final three bosses. But we haven't seen him since Gourmet Race. Marx is doing this all by himself as his own threat, which really expands the world, in my opinion. We've got other people with nothing to do with King DDD, and they're all just as dangerous, if not more dangerous. This is the first time we've really opened up the playing field to this level. Even Meta Knight, for all he was doing in his own game mode, he still had some connection to DDD as one of his former servants. The entire storyline for Milky Way Wishes was later reused and expanded upon as the storyline for Kirby's Return to Dreamland, while the antagonists of Planet Robobot seemed to be connected to Nova in a certain way. Marx is hinted as being friends with Magalore from Return to Dreamland, but I'm not really sure how exactly, and he appears as a dream friend in a free update to Star Allies. Marx is alive and well, and perfectly willing to work with Kirby for the greater good. It's somewhat jokingly suggested that feeding him is the best way to keep him from being villainous, which has interesting implications for this game. Also, Marx appears as a boss fight in Smash Bros. Ultimate, and his boss battle is recreated perfectly. For how late in World of Light he's encountered... His fighting style was so familiar to me that he's consistently one of the easiest battles. For, for being a final boss, Marx actually isn't that difficult. He's got a few nasty attacks, but one of the saving graces is that in Milky Way Wishes, you can just keep reusing the same powers over and over again. And besides the arena, that's about it for Kirby Superstar. As you can see, it paved the way for a lot of things that may not immediately be commonplace in Kirby, but they definitely would down the line. It even introduced a lot of material for Super Smash Bros. I think Return to Dreamland, essentially being the beginning of modern Kirby, is when Superstar's influence really started to take hold, and it helps that it came out not too long after Superstar Ultra, which was an influential Kirby title in its own right. Let's go over that now, with some of the modes they introduced in that game. Revenge of the King While Spring Breeze was a retelling of Kirby's Dreamland, Revenge of the King is a retelling of Kirby's Dreamland's Extra Mode, so it's a harder version of Spring Breeze. Now, do you remember me talking about that airship boss before that got removed from the game? Well, now it's back. It gets its own boss stage between Bubbly Clouds and Castle DDD. The design for the airship also gets reused when the blimp appears in Planet Robobot. Now for Castle DDD. Instead of just being a hallway leading up to the King's Boss Arena, it's a full-on stage. Earlier, I said that Revenge of Meta Knight influenced Spring Breeze in the future, and here we are. Music from Revenge of Meta Knight is playing in the background while DDD and his subordinate talk to each other about Kirby's progress, just like in Revenge of Meta Knight. 
This all culminates in DDD putting on a mask and offering you a hammer before you fight, which is very much like Meta Knight himself, wearing a mask and offering you a sword. Even the end credits is kind of a riff on the ending of Revenge of Meta Knight. DDD basically saw what Meta Knight was doing and wanted a piece of the pie for himself. But like I said, Superstar Ultra is influential in its own right. This is the first appearance of Masked DDD, who would go on to be a boss in Kirby Triple Deluxe, and he'd be DDD's final smash in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Perhaps even more importantly, this is the debut of Bandana Waddle Dee. Nowadays, this guy's basically the fourth most important Kirby character. He's still a notch beneath Kirby, DDD, and Meta Knight's power triangle, but only one notch. He was playable in Return to Dreamland with them, and he gave Kirby power-ups in Triple Deluxe and Planet Robobot, and guess who the first Dream Ally is to be introduced into the base game of Star Allies? Yep, that's right, the airship. Okay, no, but... It'd be awesome if it was. As a side note, I like how Revenge of the King gives DDD a stronger send-off than he got in the original Superstar. And it's Kirby's last dance, too, because all the rest of the sub-games are either about different characters or their boss arenas. Or both. Meta Nightmare Ultra. Nightmare in Dreamland introduced a side mode called Meta Nightmare, which has you control Meta Knight and you run him through the entire game. Now they're doing it again. Meta Knight has to clear Spring Breeze, Dynablade, The Great Cave Offensive, Revenge of Meta Knight, and Milky Way Wishes while making good time and managing enough resources to use his special abilities. He can't inhale like Kirby, so he has to make use of the powers he always has, his sword and his wings. And yes, this does mean that he has to destroy his own airship. Sadly, he can't fight himself, though. This mode is mainly a time trial, so the game is a lot more linear. It's an interesting way to bring all the games together, despite their different rules, and kind of standardize them a bit as you look at them through the lens of Meta Knight. Triple Deluxe and Planet Robobot would repeat this mode, though in the case of Triple Deluxe, they use King DDD instead. And Star Allies would expand this concept, not just DDD or Meta Knight, but all of the ally characters total. This game also canonizes Meta Knight's Smash Brothers personality of constantly seeking worthy opponents, because at the end of the Milky Way Wishes leg of the game, he resurrects the Nova, and the wish he has granted is to fight the baddest dude in the galaxy. Meet Galactonite, a creature who resembles Meta Knight, but with a lance, a shield, and angelic wings, as opposed to bat wings. Almost nothing is known about Galactonite, besides the fact that he was sealed away for being too powerful. He and his boss music would later return in Kirby's Return to Dreamland and then Planet Robobot. He has a tendency to be a bonus boss. He's never encountered in any of the main campaigns of a Kirby game. Kirby only ever encounters Galactonite in bonus arenas. All of this culminates in Galacta getting hijacked by Morpho Knight in Star Allies, in a process that I still don't completely understand. There is no denying that Galactonite is one of the most intriguing and intense characters in the series. It's probably a bit generous to call him a character, but... Still, he is definitely a person who commands a lot of attention every time he appears. The arena 
Helper to Hero, and the True Arena. The Arena is a boss rush, which became a typical post-game event for future Kirby titles. True Arena is an alteration of the mode introduced in Superstar Ultra, and also kept in future boss rushes. Though, more starting with the Return to Dreamland and subsequent games. True Arena is shorter but much harder and focuses on bosses introduced in Superstar Ultra. It also introduces Mark's Soul, a stronger version of Mark's exclusive to this mode. It kicks off the tradition of True Arena's introducing powerful alternative versions of final bosses, fresh with new backstories attached. Helper to Hero is another arena, but you take control of the various helper characters throughout the game. In Kirby Star Allies, all arena modes were replaced with the ultimate choice. It combines... You can play a boss rush, also face harder true bosses, and you can do it with any character. Kirby Superstar and Kirby Superstar Ultra did a lot for the Kirby formula. Some of its fingerprints didn't show up right away, but I think that now it is definitely recognized as one of the most important games in the series. It's also the bulk of the series' representation in Super Smash Bros. That probably helped. It actually didn't sell too well at first, because it came out at the tail end of the Super Nintendo's lifespan, like... Less than a month later, the Nintendo 64 hit the shelves, but this game is still fondly remembered and had finally found its player base, so it's not a forgotten gem by any means. This game practically created a new main character by expanding a one-off boss from a previous game. Kirby is a series that has subtly become more interconnected and complex over time, and I really do emphasize that it's subtly become this, because it's never really overt with a lot of its references. And a lot of these references and continuity can all lead back to Superstar in some way, how it added more depth to the series. It's kind of like Kirby's own Link to the Past. It's definitely one of the best Kirby games in my opinion, even if it's not my personal favorite. That one would probably be Planet Robobot. Now for today's favorite music, uh, let's see, the Gourmet Race theme, of course, is very catchy. It, it became a secondary DDD theme for a reason. I really like uh, the theme for Revenge of Meta Knight, which got remixed into a jazzy number in Super Smash Bros. Brawl and has become Meta Knight's de facto Smash Bros. theme. And as for a third one, hmm, I think I'll just be boring and pick the boss theme. It's honestly one of the better Kirby boss themes, at least in the earlier leg of the series. I prefer the boss themes from later games now, but still, this is one of the better early ones. And that's all I have to say about Kirby Superstar and Kirby Superstar Ultra. If you didn't know much about why it was so revered and any of its effects it had on the Kirby series, I hope that you can walk away with a better understanding now. Even if you did know the game and were familiar with it and you liked it, I don't know, maybe you didn't realize all of this stuff that I said. 
it's a lot of me being semantic and nitpicky. And if you want to continue to hear me be semantic and nitpicky, then all you have to do is follow the podcast on Twitter and uh, follow the show on Podcast One's website and app. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next one. Listen to BitCast anytime on PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app.